Come on, man. Hey, guys. It's just a pint. Hey, what's going on, guys? Here at the Swamp. Get ready to beat LSU. Y'all tune in to the Rule Number One podcast on Monday. And we are back. If you can't notice, we are not in our studio today. We are out here at the KT Foundation Sunshine, you know, Music and Barbecue Festival, partner. Yeah, we're so excited. Uh, we had the opportunity last week to do a uh, live podcast from the Coop, and we got to interview Miss Chick, and it was very cool. Um, but we're so excited to go on the road again and be able to do this in front of everybody. And uh, for... You know, I think we're going to air this episode in two weeks, so yep. y'all will be able to listen to it uh, again if you missed it or missed parts of it. So. so if you're wondering who we are, we're two guys from Polk County who started this thing about four months ago. And, you know, we kind of asked ourselves, what is going to set us apart from other shows in the area? And we thought about, you know, we want to find the extraordinary and the ordinary person. You know, all these podcasts have famous guests on, famous backgrounds or whatever. And, you know, we wanted to focus on, you know, people who have interesting stories that can be found, you know, anywhere and everywhere. And... Yeah, we, uh, we've had all different kinds of guests, like Brian said. Um, we've had professional athletes on. We've had sale executives, a flight attendant, all different kinds of people in all different likes, uh, walks of life. And uh, without further ado, we have uh, another very special guest. Yeah. Today with us, we have Coach Jeff Sykes of the Warner University baseball team. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing great, guys. Appreciate <laughs> you having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. You know, you've been one of our the main guests that we've wanted to get on this show. We didn't know if you uh, even knew what a podcast was when we first mentioned it. And, you know, as soon as I texted you, you were in. And I texted Smo, I called him, I was like, we got our guy, we got our guy for the event. We were so excited because we know that you have some pretty deep roots here in the town of Lake Wells. No doubt. I was born and raised here in Lake Wales. I actually can see my mother's house across the <laughs> lake over there. Um, That's but, awesome. You know, yeah, I spent my whole life here other than when I was in college, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Well, a little background. Uh, we kind of want to get to know you uh, as a person and how you got to where you are now, you know, head baseball coach at the Warner Royals. Um, so did you go to Lake Wales High School? I went to Lake Wales High School, yeah. Elementary school, middle school, junior high, all the way finished up at Lake Wales High School, yes. Okay, and then where'd you go to college after that? Well, out of, out of high school, um, I signed a baseball scholarship to go to Mississippi State University. Um, and that's where, Hale I, that's where I went. Yeah. Yeah, Hale State? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, back to the high school thing, you played two sports. I heard that you were a dang good quarterback, too, back in the day when you uh, wore the black and orange for Lake Wales. Well, I played quarterback. I don't know how good I was, <laughs> but um, I played quarterback uh, with yeah. some great guys. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm so excited to have you on. You know, me, you are our baseball coach, and that – you know, you played such an important role in our lives and our development and, you know, the character that we, de you know, developed over our four or five years that we spent at Warner. And you can see a lot of that in all the episodes that we do. You know, we always, you know, I, what I've taken from you is we, you know, see the best in everybody. And that's how you are. And I just, I'm so thankful, Coach, for you coming on today. Um, do you want to get into our first question for the guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned you went to uh, Mississippi State. You went to a couple different colleges, correct? Right. I started off at Mississippi State, um, you know, was excited to go there um, and ended up only staying a semester. And the reason was is mainly because I didn't realize it at the time, but I really wasn't ready to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I was an only child. So, you know, I got out there to Mississippi, and, and it was a terrific place. But I was 
homesick beyond belief. I really was. I had a hard time dealing with that. Um, and it affected the way that I played ball out there. I, I, I don't think I played as well as I was capable of and ultimately didn't make the team and didn't deserve to make the team. And so that was a big uh, disappointment there at Mississippi State. Um, but, you know, the team that I didn't make ended up going to Omaha was in the World Series that year. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah. felt, okay, well, at least it wasn't chop liver that I didn't <laughs> yeah. make the team. Um, so then I ended up having to transfer from there. Where'd you go from there? I ended up transferring to South Florida State, which is right down the road here in Avon Park, and played junior college ball. Uh, in that spring and then the following year, ended up playing two years down there. Really enjoyed playing there. Uh, made some great friends there that I still have today. And, um, you know, my freshman year, we, we were runner-up in the state. We were in the state championship game and ended up runner-up in that game. And, and uh, my senior year uh, individually ended up being a lot better for me um, and then the way I performed and presented some other opportunities to – go on beyond junior college. So you're, you're a Juco bandit is the new nickname for all the Juco guys coming out. Um, my dad actually played Juco ball at Polk State College, and he won a state championship uh, there and got to go out to play in a regional. Didn't get make, he didn't make it to Grand Junction, but he talks about how you know the Juco route for some guys is the perfect way to go. Um, it's a you know stepping stone for smaller high school guys to you know get a use to the college, you know, kind of things but also had that small school vibe where they're not overwhelmed by the size of a school like mississippi state or i'm pretty sure you went to kentucky too right well i finished at kentucky yeah awesome um but it's like that's what he was telling me it was a good stepping stone for young men to develop uh, the maturity and the you know i guess will and determination baseball wise while also being in a small environment where you're not going to get in too much trouble um Speaking of which, I did get in trouble uh, at my first school, and you know, I I kind of felt what you said about the going away. I went to Ave Maria University down in Naples, and you know, I just didn't fit in there. Um, I just I like, I mean, sore thumb. It was so bad, uh, and like you said, it did it affected my playing too. And I, I didn't get the best out of it. Um, you know, my freshman year, I got they had a JV and a varsity team. I got bumped up and down all year long, and it killed my confidence. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And so I went back for my sophomore year trying to give it a new shot, um, and it just it didn't, it didn't work out for me. And that's okay. Like, I want to I tell people that are going into baseball that it's okay to transfer. And, you know, sometimes when you sign, it might just be, oh, I'll be honest. When I signed with Ave, I looked at the campus. I was like, this is beautiful. Like, this is where I want to be. I didn't, you know, I didn't take into consideration the factors of a, you know, teaching what they offer majors and stuff like that and i think that is you know what guys need to look more to when they're deciding to commit to a college yeah i do have a question for you coach you mentioned um you know going off to mississippi state and how it was a big transition do you think that time period at your junior college was a big um help to be able to go off to kentucky after those two years well, I think all three places were beneficial to me, no doubt. Uh, even going to Mississippi, you know, when, when um, I had the opportunity to go there, you know, I prayed about that. I prayed about, you know, hey, Lord, please tell me where to go to college mm -hmm. and um, please help me to know that. But, you know, I was a little full of myself and <laughs> I prayed for it, but 
I didn't really listen to him. Right. Uh, so I kind of, in retrospect, I don't think he really wanted me to go there. Love the people there, and the, and the folks there were great. But I wasn't ready for it, and I didn't realize it because I was too full of myself, like I said. So then coming back to junior college was a humbling process for me, not from the standpoint of the level of competition. The level of competition is fantastic. But just to kind of say, okay, you know, you talk about, you know, being a Christian and being a believer and you pray for something, pray to the Lord for something. You're not even listening to what he has to say to you there. And so that kind of re, uh, I don't know, programmed me or kind of balanced me back out to where I needed to be to be able to hear going forward. And when I came out of high school, you know, I was recruited by a lot of different schools. One of the schools I was recruited by was University of Kentucky then. And as it turned out, when I came out of junior college, there was only one division, one college that recruited me when there were several before coming out of high school. And the one that was still there after junior college was Kentucky. And when I got to Kentucky, it was, I mean, I was made to be there. That was where I should have gone right out of high school and absolutely love Kentucky. And it, it weird how, you know, the Lord works. In my opinion, because, you know, I had the same, you know, troubles, too. I uh, when I left Ave, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what direction I was going to head in. I didn't know if I was even going to play baseball again at that point. You know, I got in some trouble. Um, I'm going to, you know, you know, I don't know this, but I failed a drug test down there. Um, I was stupid. I was young, running with the wrong crowd. Um, but I came back home and I, you know, took some time to, you know, try to figure it out. And I was out actually working in the groves outside of Lake Wells here. And my dad made me work out there. I wasn't like a job that I went and, you know, got, it was a punishment. So I was on my hands and knees fixing like poly pipe and all the irrigation underneath orange trees all summer long. And I was like, all right, this is not what I want to do. I have to get back (laughs) into college baseball. I have to, you know, I have to get my head on straight. And uh, I was thinking, I was like, man, what's a perfect place around here for me to, you know, find myself again, find, you know, close to home where I, you know, don't go wild. You know, that happens to people. They go off to places, they get wild. Oh, well, but it was, it was like my calling, I guess, for Warner. Um, you know, I reached out to you sometime in July. Uh, I also talked to Weber across the lake, too. Uh, Coach Polk over there um, was trying to talk me into going over there. But like you said, I just had that, I guess, calling. You know, I prayed about it, and, you know, Warner was my decision, and I'm so thankful for that. This uh, Man, Coach, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and I feel like Warner also, you know, they preach this all the time. They're like, there's a reason why you're here. You've told us that for the four years I played for you. Um, and I felt like that was a big part in my life whenever I came out of high school. You know, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go. I, uh, I wanted to get an ag degree. And uh, the only other school in the state of Florida that really offers one is University of Florida. And I didn't think I was that good to go there. <laughs> um, uh, and so I decided to go to Warner. And, I mean, I, my story is a little bit different. I stayed there for four years, and I mean, I absolutely loved every bit of it. Um, well, you know, we've talked a little bit about how you hopped around um, schools. What is some of your favorite parts of each school, and, you know, what parts kind of grew you into the person you are? Well, and, and just to kind of finish up what you guys just said there, I, I think a lot of times, you know, we have guys uh, – come to Warner in our situation and and it was fantastic having both of you guys um I remember the first time I met both of you and uh, (laughs) remember that whole recruiting process but what happens a lot of times is guys come to Warner maybe they transfer in like we've been talking about 
And when they get done, they say, Coach, I loved it here. I wish I would have come here right out of high school, right from the beginning. And the thing that we share with most of those guys is that, listen, your experiences after high school is what shaped you to a point where you could appreciate your experience here at Warner. Had you come right out of high school, you you may not have appreciated it the way that you do now. That's very true. I never really thought um, about that. That's that's. That's common. But the things that I liked at all three of the schools that I went to was that, you know, first in Mississippi, I mean, the people are fantastic. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it's in, for the most part, I mean, it, they have a very large agricultural um, influence there. That's, that's uh, their curriculum. They, it's a lot about agriculture. And so I enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, and just the fact that you knew you were in – even today, a, a big-time college baseball program. Yeah, and that was exciting to know that. Uh, I just, like I said, just wasn't ready for it. Uh, but then back at JUCO, the thing that I enjoyed the most was that playing with a lot of guys that I had played against in high school or that I heard about in high school uh, and just making relationships uh, with those folks because, you know, in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the ability to communicate with someone in – another town uh, even remotely and so you read about these guys names in the papers and then to be able to play with them and realize they're regular guys and and you you have these experiences together that was the best part about going to junior college here in Avon Park and um, but then at UK um, like I said it fit me like a glove at UK (laughs) I mean I just just the you know families that I would connect with up there Uh, you know I've got even now I have um, folks that I called my Kentucky family, uh, that type of thing. Great guys, Kentucky guys that I communicate with regularly. Um, you know, my head coach up there was Keith Madison. I actually came to know Keith Madison because my junior year in high school, he was the head coach at Lake Wales. Really? And then he went from Lake Wales to be a graduate assistant at Mississippi State which is one of the main things that got me to Mississippi State. But by the time I got there, he had already left and gone to Kentucky. Man, and so um, that, was, that was a good contact for me to have. And, um, just, and it's beautiful. You, can't, you just can't grasp hold of how beautiful Kentucky is until you spend some time there. Uh, so I feel very blessed to have graduated from UK. You mentioned a, a little bit about how the times were different, you know, with the telephone and everything back then. Was there a specific, or is there a specific thing that baseball was different back then, like the game itself, or uh, can you talk a little bit how it's transitioned since the end of the game we play now? Sure. I, I, so far as the game is concerned, you know, the, the game is over 150 years old. Right. So yeah. there's not that much different about the game. I mean, it's still nine innings. It's still three outs. It's still whoever <laughs> yeah. scores the most runs. Um, so the game itself, there's not that much difference, I don't really believe. Um, I think uh, the main thing you see in college is that the level of players is higher now. There, you have better players that are playing college ball now than when I played. When if you were drafted in the top, say, 15 rounds when I came out of high school, the vast majority of those guys are going to end up playing professional baseball right out of high school. That's the route they were going to go. Well, of that same group of guys now in the top 15 rounds, you're going to see at least two thirds of them end up playing college baseball. Right. Um, and 
at those levels, um, the facilities uh, that they have uh, are they're, they're basically professional facilities. Yeah, they are. So much different than what my experience was. But I think even from a coaching standpoint, the, the biggest differences just day-to-day is analytics is such a much larger part of it. Uh, social media yeah. is a big part of it. Even the way you communicate with folks with, you know, with texting and Twitter and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, those are probably as big of differences as anything. And, and just the fact that you can have a conversation with someone like that um, because of social media is much different from all the machinations you had to go through to be able to get hold of somebody yeah. way I, back. I think, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, but the social media aspect going into baseball. You know, go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was no such thing as a bat flip in the MLB. You know, if you had a bat flip in the MLB, you're probably getting a 95-mile-per-hour fastball on the shoulder or the guy behind you is going to get it, and they were going to be mad at you. Nowadays, you see, you know, guys hit a 450-foot home run, and they're throwing their bat higher than the, you know, like the stands. And, you know, they're flashy around the bases. They look flashier. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that? I know you're pretty old school when it comes to being <laughs> things on the diamond. Well, those type of things definitely are not my favorite part of the game, for sure. But they do exist. I mean, you're right about that. They're much more prevalent. Um, and you can see how guys react on the other teams. I mean, you know, they, they still have that, you know, you may get one, you know, behind yeah. your head type yeah. thing. Um, so I just uh, – I, I appreciate the idea of the, you know, the individual, individual expression. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, people like the motion are, behind it. Exactly, and people are excited. Guys are excited when they've accomplished something and, and you know, want to express the fact that they're excited. So I appreciate that. At the same time, I appreciate uh, – I'm much more um, focused on the fact that there's something called sportsmanship yeah. <laughs> that um, was, I do think, more prevalent back when I was younger and played than there is now. It's a, there's, there's more kind of uh, in-your-face um, – type of responses back and forth and that's something that I don't feel is positive for the game and yet it's very real right you know uh in those four years that I Brian and I did play for you that was a big thing that you always instilled in us that you have to have good character you have to you know carry yourself appropriately whether we had a uh, a haircut rule or a facial hair rule which I'm not really following that anymore <laughs> but uh, um I wanted to move a little bit about uh into about your coaching um you know, philosophy and everything. How did you originally get the job at Warner? Well, when I, when I graduated from Kentucky, um, I had a, a year where I, where I worked with the Doyle Baseball School. Okay. Um, the Doyles were, you know, Denny Doyle, Brian Doyle, Blake Doyle. Denny Doyle played 10 years in the major leagues, played in the 75 World Series. Brian Doyle, he was the MVP of the 77 World Series. And then their brother Blake, or Brian's twin, Blake, you know, Blake, you know, played all the way up to AAA and in a little bit in the big leagues talk and that type some, of thing. Talk so, about some genetics there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so they actually, when they started a baseball school after they had um, retired, they connected with my father, actually. He was uh, uh, president of First Federal Savings and Loan here and, and connected with them about uh, – and he had also uh, been the president of Lakewell's Little League when I was growing up. 
So they connected with him about a place to start their school and, and how to get some funding and that type of thing. And my dad helped a little bit with that just to, to help them get going. And I had known them from there. And so they thankfully gave me an opportunity to work and stay in baseball for a year then. And um, after about that year, the way I got to Warner was I got a call from the coach down at Warner then. Now, you got to remember, Warner at that point had about 200 students total. <laughs> um, and he called me and he says, hey, man, I'm, he worked with the post office. He said, I'm taking this job in Ohio with the post office, and I need you to you know, coach these guys down here. And I said, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I don't care anything about coaching. I, don't, I said, I love playing, but I, no, I don't want to coach. You know, and so he kept saying, hey, they're great guys. You'd love these guys. You know, you, you would just really connect with them in such a great way, and we need you to do it. It's, it's kind of like coaching summer ball late in the afternoon, that type of thing. You could do it. And I kept saying, no, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So finally, he said, well, listen. And remember, this is a landline. There's no cell phone. You got the cord <laughs> into the wall and that type of thing. And he said, well, will you at least pray about it? And I said, yeah, 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 I'll pray about it, mainly just so I can hang the phone up. I mean, I would have said about anything to be able to hang the phone up at that point. So once I did, I said, well, you know, I don't want to have lied to the guy, so I'll, you know, I'm, I will pray about it. So I did pray about it, and finally I'm saying, Lord kind of impressed upon my heart, hey, listen, you know, you can do it. They're going to be good guys. It's, you know, it'll be a good experience for you. Go ahead and do it. And so I did, and there were 14 players on the team. Man, the schedule nuts. was that's like it. 17 yeah. games as total. It was just kind of almost glorified club ball. But right. these guys on this team were 14 of the greatest guys you could ever know. I ended up having – there were two guys – on that team that ended up being in my wedding. One of them is <laughs> Rob Quam, who's the director of the Lake Wells Care Center in town, and, and most anyone in Lake Wells knows who Rob is. I've met Rob before. Yep. And, um, and just, you know, just some terrific friends that I still have today. So then once I was there and we had a couple of years like that, you start to say, well, you know what, if I'm going to do this, Maybe we need to do it right. Maybe yeah. we need to start doing some other things that make it look more like a college program. So that's kind of how it all cranked up. You no, know, I, I love that because you, you, you've you been the guy at Warner now for, what, 40, 30-something, 30 35-plus years or something like that? Or you, you probably know the exact number. Something like that. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> <Something>. time. <laughs> but to see the growth that that program has made, like I saw pictures, you know, from when it first started, you know, the young Coach Sykes and his 14 guys. I've seen pictures. And it's like you see the field and you see everything. It's like, man, how did that become to, you know, what we have today with the beautiful, you know, grandstands and the big scoreboard, very nice playing surface, probably one of the best in the Sun Conference, I will say. Um, From all those days pulling yeah, crabgrass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you said earlier that going to Kentucky kind of fit like a glove. When you were at Warner – you know, you are a very Christian man. You are very, you know, out about it. And you, you help, you know, you talk to us about it at school and at practice. And I really appreciate that. I know a lot of the other guys did too. You know, did that kind of like fit like a glove too, being that, you know, Warner is a Christian university and it is, you know, evangelical Christian is what you there said. You yeah. yeah, I remember it. And 
like so what I'm asking is like how you know how perfect of a fit was that for you when you got there like did you want to go anywhere else or you know when I got to Warner that was it like I don't want to coach anywhere else well it, it was indeed a perfect fit there's no question about that and the fact that Warner is an evangelical Christian university has such a big deal to do with it um, you know it's a place where um, not only are you allowed to share your faith in Christ, you're encouraged to do it. It's, they, they desire you to do it. And uh, when we talk with recruits, you know, we talk about, you know, our, our top priority at Warren. We're very competitive. I mean, you put very. lines on the field and turn the lights on, let's go. Yeah, you know, we're, absolutely. We're ready. So, but in the big picture of things or the big scheme of things, our top priority is that we want to try to do anything and everything we can do to glorify Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do that with our attitudes on the field and off the field and in the classroom and in the community. And, and um, it doesn't mean that every kid that comes there is a Christian kid or that they have to be a Christian kid to come there. But it, it does mean that that's our priority and that's going to reveal itself or be reflected in the way that we communicate with our players and the way we present ourselves as a team. Um, and the effort that we put into it uh, to do it in a way that hopefully God is pleased by. And we don't get it right every day. I'm not going to sit here and say we don't ever trip up and make some mistakes. But uh, that's where our heart is. And the fact that that's always been um, the M.O. for Warner Athletics and especially Warner Baseball, that's some of the type of things that have kept me there um, because I, I just – it's like fuel yeah, to me. Yeah, I, yeah. I just feed off of that. So I love that. You uh, you spoke a little bit about um, you know your fourteen guys, your original fourteen guys. How was the? I, you've told me a couple different stories. How was the competition level with those fourteen guys? Well, I mean, it was much different than what we have now, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was all just you know small Christian schools. There weren't any scholarships. You know, there was really was it a ton of recruiting that you could do. Um, you know, at that point. Um, so, it, I mean, it was, it was okay. Yeah. But it, it, it was probably better than you might think it would have been. But, yeah. you know, it wasn't anything that was going to blow you away. Right. Um, but it was, it was just a lot of guys that wanted to continue to play ball when they got out of high school. And, and you know, I, that whole idea about when you get to a school, you walk around the cafeteria trying to find guys to play. That <laughs> yeah. was true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, hey, ever think about playing baseball? That type of thing. I so. remember, can you tell us that yeah, story? That because story. I remember you mentioning that, like, at practice one day. One day we did not believe you. Like, but yeah, go ahead yeah, and tell us. Yeah, I want to hear that, yeah. Well, we ha you start off with a few guys playing, like we said, 14. Mm -hmm. But going to that you know, to that next year, the second year that I was there, and you started to know more people around campus, literally are walking around campus and looking at guys, that guy, hey, did you ever play? If the guy looked kind of athletic or whatever, right. you say, did you ever play any sports in high school? And, and um, you know, what did you play? Oh, I played uh, basketball and baseball. And I said, well, did you ever think about trying to play here? And, right. and so there were multiple guys like that that, you trying to talk into playing so you'd have enough to to feel the team. I love that. <laughs> That's so cool because like, you know, looking back at it, you know, back to back years, you've had regional opening round tournament games, you know. You've built this program literally from nothing to, you know, a team that's ranked in the top 25 every 
every I'd say every year, but seems like you know every year, especially from you know 2000 to 2010. How did you um, get into like the development of the program? You started bringing in higher end guys, and you, you made the World Series in what 2003 or 2002? 2001. Well, 2001. Yeah. And you know how did that? You know when did you start seeing the you know oh man I'm, I'm building something here like I'm I'm, I'm getting something. <clears throat> Well, I shared with you when I first started, I, I kind of did it like that in the first three years um, that it would be kind of an after work type of thing. I, I worked in a side business my dad had, uh, and then, then I'd go down there after work. I worked some insurance and that type of thing, and I'd go down there after work there. And, and, but after about three years, our, our team in my third year was actually – ticked up a little bit. It was a little better than what we'd had before, a little stronger. And so in that fourth year, we didn't have anything to recruit with, but the main thing we recruited with was the experience that these guys were having, how much fun they were having, uh, you know, kind of barriers that we were breaking down to advance the program further and that we were, you know, trying to elevate our schedule and played some stronger schools and that type of thing. So just by word of mouth, just to get some guys to come. So even then, the program ticked up a little bit then in, the, you know, those couple of years there. Uh, but we had a fellow come uh, to be our athletic director in, the, in my seventh or eighth, sixth or seventh year, I guess it was. Uh, Gary Bays was his name. It's still his name. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he was the one that really pushed or, or – uh, encourage the school towards trying to join the NAI to play, you know, fully legitimate competition, uh, and then beyond that, uh, ways that uh, beginning to give scholarships to players not only would help our teams to get better, but ultimately would help grow the school, uh, and the total revenues would be enhanced by giving, you know, some revenue on the on the lower end to our to athletes and so that's really where it kind of turned to NAI and really began to go a little bit in that regard. Yeah you mentioned uh you know you walking around campus and recruiting guys to come up how has your recruiting process changed from then you know now you, we live in the 21st century where you can contact people from all over the world. I mean, you recruit guys from the Dominican Republic. How do you go about your recruiting process now compared to back then? Well, for one thing, we have great coaches that coach with me. I mean, that's, that's a huge part. I mean, um, Dave Moskovitz, yeah. he coaches with me. You know, he's our associate head coach, and, and he really is the um, head honcho in, in recruiting. Uh, he's our recruiting coordinator, you could say. Uh, Aaron Karras, um, he's our pitching coach, and Aaron's involved in recruiting. And, and even with, you know, John Bean is coaching with us yeah, this year. And, and then we really are blessed this year to have Bryce Hewlett with us. And Bryce is a local baseball hero and, and played junior college ball, played it at Pittsburgh um, the Pitt Panthers. And I don't know if you know this or not. Me and Bryce, you know, we go way back. So, like, I played, you know, Little League with him. He came over to Fort Meade one year, and then we started playing travel ball together, you know. And we played all the way up to over 13, 14, and we knew each other throughout high school and college. But, you know, as soon as I saw that, like, that, hey, I'm going to be the GA at Warner, I was like, man, these guys, you know, they're it's still building, you know. 
it's getting better and better and better each year, it seems. And I'm just so excited to see where, you know, you guys are heading because, you know, I was part of the two teams that, you know, I don't want to say put us back on the map. I hate to say that because, you know, Warner was a part of the map. I think, you know, 2000 to 2010, you guys were in the top 25 like every week except, what, twice or something like that? We had six weeks in the decade that we were not ranked. Yeah, in, the, in 10 years and six, like that's insane. Six weeks out of 10 years, you were not a top 25 team. Like that is, that's mind boggling. That's Alabama type stuff. And I just love to see the, you know, the commitment, the drive for this program because it literally started off with nothing. And you were the guy that started it. And like, it's just so nice to see, you know, what work ethic and hard drive and, you know, what it can produce. You know, me and Nate want to do this Rule 1 podcast, you know, kind of for the rest of our lives. And, you know, we want this to be our main source of income one day, our job. But, you know, that's what you instilled in us through your coaching method. You know, you instilled us hard work. Don't give up. Chase your dreams. You know, take three big things that me and him take, you know, every day that we use. You know, speaking of your coaching method, you kind of have, you know, a different style of coaching, you know, you have, you know, some coaches out there. If somebody messes up, they're gonna get, like, they're gonna get in your face. They're gonna yell. They're gonna cuss. You know, you are the exact opposite. Like, it was a whole whirlwind for me. Like, do you, you want to touch on like your coaching method and how you feel? Like, it's, it's definitely different. But how do you, you know, I guess kind of look at it to groom guys? Well, sure, and and you know, even to finish the point about the recruiting, I mean. The, having those guys, which are great evaluators of talent, you know, in their own right, they know what they're doing, um, and you connect with a lot of people. I mean, the, my network of coaches that I know in high school and in junior college, I mean, it's there's a lot of guys. I mean, you coach for a long time, you get to know a lot of different people, and so you'll have there's a lot more people that call and say hey I have a guy for you hey there's a guy that you need to look at there's a lot more of that going on but you know I'm an old timer so all of those guys that I mentioned are way more proficient you know with technology and and social media and and that type of thing so still go to a lot of games I mean those guys especially they go to a lot more games than I do and seeing guys play but uh, just with video that you get and, and some of the, the analytics and, and the technology where you can we can you can tell us about a guy that played junior college ball in in Nebraska and you know we have technology that can pull video of him up and see him playing. Uh, that's that's way yeah. beyond what we used to have. But so far as coaching style and stuff is the from the beginning and my goal was to try to coach the way that I would have wanted to be coached. And in some ways, I was coached that way. I mean, I mentioned Coach Madison at Kentucky. I mean, I think my style is a lot like his style. And a lot of it picked up from him, obviously, from uh, learning under him. But uh, I, just, I kind of just wanted to be coached the way that I wanted to be coached. And I wanted to focus on areas that were relevant I think a lot of times things that coaches spend time on are more traditional more so than they are relevant. Mm-hmm. And so you got to be current and you have to, to go with what's working and, and, and what's going to motivate guys to do it in a certain way. And just kind of a general one-sentence type thing, it's always been focused on taking care of the things you have control over. 
there's things in and around the practice or game or, or just life that you don't have control over. We know that. I mean, focus on what you have control over. Handle those things as well as you can. And if you do those little things and if you take care of those building block type of things, then when you have something major come along, you're a lot more prepared to handle that and to deal with that as a team or as an individual player. Um, and so, you know, you hope at the end of the day that, that uh, guys enjoyed playing for you and that they were challenged and that they were um, held accountable to a point that they were able to grow from that and still had a lot of fun playing. And if we do that, then we feel pretty good about, you know, what happens. So, and so much of it, too, guys, is that I tell folks this all the time, They'll say, well, your players are this or that and, you know, about how uh, the quality young men and that type of thing. And the thing I'll say, again, this is just true. I said, well, it's because they were raised right. You know, <laughs> I mean, I didn't raise any of them. You know, both you guys, you have tremendous parents, you know, you know that. And, and so many of our guys have just had terrific upbringings uh, that, you know, they were, they were pretty decent dudes when they got there. <laughs> so that makes a big difference, too. Warner is such a good place to develop as a young man. Like myself, you know, my thoughts going in, my maturity coming into Warner is totally different with my, you know, coming out. You know, my the perspective of the world, my worldview absolutely changed when I got there. And it just helped me, you know, like you said, your coaching style. Control the things that you can control. And, you know, I was thinking about that all the time. You know, we heard it probably six, seven times a week at practice. But um, getting into, you know, some other things, you control a lot of things, Coach. You have, you know, baseball. You have, you know, your faith that you're very strong involved with your church here downtown. But, you know, you also have the cattle, right? How, yep. You, know, you want to you talk about that? Yeah. yeah. How do you kind of juggle all three of those things all in a one, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. one day? <laughs> well, and, and honestly – First of all, I mean, I'm so small potatoes in <laughs> with cattle. I mean, it's I'm I'm not even a guy to really be talking to about cattle, but um, but there's no there's no trouble juggling it. I mean, Warner is my priority. That's I mean that's that's my job. That's who employs me. That's what I love to do the most. I mean, so there's no there's no challenge in juggling. My focus is on Warner, and then in other times, if I have time and I try to kind of schedule it like that, that's when I can do uh, the cattle and, and get out there with the, you know, with the animals and, and enjoy that. Um, but so there's no juggling with it. But uh, still, it's something that I, I do enjoy. Um, and, you know, I'll be out there probably this afternoon, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my uh, one of my favorite memories um, from college is I think it was my sophomore year. And, you know, we're all sitting around waiting for uh, for practice to start. And we're like, where's coach at? And been about 15 minutes or whatever. He he pulls up and uh, he's like, sorry, fellas, I'm late. I, I had a couple of heifers struck by lightning. Yeah. And for a Polk <laughs> County boy to hear that, like it's, you know, OK, understandable. But, you know, we've got guys from the Dominican Republic, you know, all over the country and the faces that they made when they heard it. it they didn't very, believe very, you. They didn't believe no. you at all. <laughs> but, something well, and this and, and and you you know Nathan that being around cattle with your you know your family they big into case you have your family up here talking to them about cows. <laughs> but uh, that's part of it. I mean, especially in Florida. Oh yeah. I mean, if you go through a summer and you didn't have an animal die by lightning strike, you feel pretty good about that. Right. right. Uh, so it it happens, and then. 
you kind of have to deal with that. I mean, you, you don't just want to leave that animal out in the middle of your pasture. You, you at least want to kind of get it Take out of the pasture yeah. somehow. Uh, so, yeah, that, but when something like that happens, I mean, you have to deal with it. I remember calling our um, um, Don Meadows was her name. She uh, was over athletics a few years back, and I told her, I said, she, I actually had her coming out to share with the team on that day. And she, I think she did come out that day, actually. And I called her and I said, Miss Don, I so apologize that I, I, I've had, I had a bull get out, yeah. you know, out of a pasture. I remember and, this. And I, I, I said, I, I got to get this bull back in. And so, which took a while and everything, and I got there right at the end. But every now and then something like that happens and you have to deal with it. But, you know, that's, that's the exception more so than the norm but those type of things do happen yeah i've uh you know you mentioning my family uh is in the cattle industry i've seen a lot of crazy things happen um cows are weird animals um what are some of the experiences that you have seen um on your place well i I tell you the the the, it still amazes me to think about (laughs) this story today but uh, i had a pasture that i was leasing down in arcadia Mm -hmm. and this was on uh thanksgiving break and so the guy called me that owned the pasture that I leased it from. He called me from down there. His name was Steve. Well, again, still is Steve Hall. But uh, <laughs> so Steve calls me and says, hey, he says, you got a cow down here that uh, is trying to have a calf, but I think it's breech and, and she she's, can't have it. If you want to come down here, I'll help you pull it. And so in my head, I'm kind of saying, oh, man, I just, <laughs> you know, I don't want to go full of that calf. But that's what you get up and go. Yeah. And so we go down there, and I'm in the pasture by myself, and he described the cow to me. And, of course, all of my cows at that, they were red. And they, were, they looked very similar. So it's kind of hard to distinguish, well, which one is he talking about? Yeah. I found a cow that had just had had a calf in the last day or two. I said, oh, well, she must have had it. And so I'm in there, and I'm doing some other stuff, and Steve comes in, and he's on a golf cart, and he comes in, he's talking to me, and, hey, that cow have her calf? And I said, yeah, this is it right here. And so we talk for a few minutes, and he kind of squints his eyes and looks out over the pasture, and he says, you know what, that, there's that cow out, way out there. He pointed to her, that, and so I'm looking, and I'm trying to see what he's seeing. He says, come on, we'll get in the golf cart and go over there. So we go over there, and we're sure as anything. She can't have the calf. The calf is breech. And so I'm sitting there saying, oh, man, what are we going to do now? He says, well, listen, you know, okay, you drive the golf cart, and I'll be on the back, and I'll lasso the cow off of the golf cart. And I'm saying, what? <laughs> lasso the cow off the golf cart? He says, yeah, yeah, just pull up there beside her. We'll be able to get up beside her. I says, we're not going to be able to get up beside that cow in a golf cart. He says, no, no, it'll work. It'll work. Get on the, you know, go ahead and do it. So I'm in the golf cart. I'm trying to, and of course the cow's now running away from you. I'm trying to, and this pasture, it had been farmland before, so it had like irrigation ditches. And so the golf cart's going down an irrigation ditch and up and down an irrigation ditch and up. And so we get, I finally get close enough to this cat. He's a little closer, a little closer. And he's on the back of the golf cart. He says, now when I, when I rope her, put the brakes on, we'll pull the rope tight. And then you got to get out and you go for her head and I'll get to the back end. And so that's what happened. He <laughs> roped her. We pull it tight, get out, run down the rope. Like we were, you know, uh, doing calf roping calf at the rodeo roping, yeah. and everything. And I got to her head. We you know, pulled her 
you know, put my elbow around her nose and pulled her down this way, and he pulled her down the other way, and I got her head held down, and he ends up pulling the calf, you know, right out in the middle of the pasture. So, you know, there you go. I mean, that's that's one of the most. I still am amazed by that story that he could have done that. Now, is this like? Have you been doing this your whole life? You know, I didn't. I forgot to ask that. Like, have you been a part of the cattle? You know, this whole industry your whole life, or did you do this when you got older and you had the money to invest in it? Well, I've always I've always been around it my whole life. My dad, uh, his passion was cutting horses, quarter horses. I mean, that is. That was his passion. There's no doubt about it. But kind of go right alongside of that is beef cattle. And so my dad always had beef cattle. Uh, one of the things that just people that know me and know my dad know how much I love my dad. And, and he passed away a few years ago, but how much I admired him and what an indescribable influence he had in my life. So um, he had horses, he had cattle, and when it he kind of tried to nudge me that direction and I wasn't really drawn to it. I didn't, I wasn't that interested in it when I was a kid, I want to play sports. And so when he recognized that I was serious, I really wanted to play sports. Well, he sold everything. He sold his horses, he sold his cattle. And then he got involved in like Lake Wells little league down here. And as I shared with you guys earlier, he became president of Lake Wells little league when I was a kid when I got done with all the way through high school. So when I got done with high school, went to college, he stepped out of Little League, started buying horses back, started buying cows back, and got back into it. So I was, I was around it my whole life. I was never that interested in it. But as I shared that he passed away a few years ago, I mean, he was probably the last 10 or 12 years of his life. I mean, he was heading in a direction that you knew he wasn't going to – eventually something was going to have to happen. Yeah. And so I went ahead and got – figured I was going to need to learn this because I was going to have to do something, you know, with my dad's cows later. And I figured the best way to do that was to have my own. Mm-hmm. And so I did end up purchasing some cattle. And I, you know, I probably bit off too big of a bite. I, I, I ended up – you know, getting too many, probably more than I needed to get. It's a big responsibility. It is. Yeah. It is. And I didn't quite realize that. So, you know, you, you work through that. And, um, and, but in doing that and really doing it just so I felt like I would know what to do if when my dad passed or I needed to do something with his cattle, I just fell in love with that. You know, I had really, in, you know, just enjoy the cattle and enjoy, you know, anticipating calves being born. I enjoyed, you know, matching up you know, this breed of bull with these type of crossbred cows and seeing what you can come up with out of that. I, I enjoy that aspect of it. And um, so it's, it's not this, like I said, it's honestly probably is more of a hobby for me. It's, it's not really where my priority is, but I do enjoy it when I get time to, just like everybody's got yeah. things they like yeah. to got do. Their little you know, so, yeah. I uh I definitely can relate to that. Um, you know, I grow up, I've played baseball and football my whole life and uh and I always said, you know, my family was in agriculture and I wanted to get an ag degree, uh, but it wasn't necessarily something I was very passionate about going into college. It was just like, Well, my family does this, so I'll go do it too. Um, until I got to college. When I got to college, it was kinda cool to see my transition from being, you know, absolutely in love with baseball to kind of, you know, move it in that direction where it's like I'm absolutely invested in the field I want to go to and absolutely love it. I know uh, a lot of times whenever you're out, you know, 
on the pasture, riding your horse, hunting, sitting in a tree stand or whatever, there's always, uh, for me at least, it, you look across and you're like, wow, like, this is so beautiful. Like, you know, it, it reflects back to uh, my faith. And as a Christian, it's like the Lord, you know, put all this um, out for display for all of us. Have you had any of those experiences, um, you know, in your time in the outdoors? Or can you, you know, reflect off of that? Absolutely. Uh, no doubt. I, I could, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking of a specific time with my dad. He had a pasture that was uh, down like south of uh, where CVS drugstore is over there. And so, and it was, a, there was a hill and his barn was at the top of the hill. And so he had horses, he had a few cows out there, but it was mostly horses out there. And so I was out there with him one afternoon and we're just kind of standing there and just hanging out together. And he looks, and of course, the sky has all these colors in it from, you know, sunset and it had rained earlier in the day and, and it, it was just beautiful. And my dad said, he, he says, he says, you know, he says, I don't see how anybody could look at something like that and come even close to believing that there was not a God. How, how could they even do that? And I've had that experience myself, and I've heard people talk about, you know, the Lord paints a different picture, you know, every night. And Scripture talks about that. I mean, it talks about, you know, we'll know Him in His creation. His creation reflects His glory. His creation reveals His presence. Different places in Scripture it talks about when you look and you see a beautiful world and, and you know, you're able to live in a place like this that... It should point you towards looking uh, towards the Lord. We came out of the gym. This is you know, back right before Christmas. And I mentioned Dave Moskovitz, the, you know, my associate head coach. And, uh, you know, we came out of the gym. It was late in the day. And as we're coming out, Dave's in front of me, and he steps out the door, and he, and he stops. And he is just kind of looking. And the sky was this kind of pinkish, orangish, just the whole western sky was like that and the sun had already set and he was just looking at it for a second and I came out behind him saying what is he looking at and I'm looking I'm saying and I told him I said pretty awesome isn't it you know <laughs> it just that's the Lord that's the Lord painting a beautiful picture for us you know to see on that day and remind us of who he is you know it's no secret that you're a strong you know passionate follower of Jesus Christ you know when when did you you know dedicate your life to the Lord. When did you, when did this start? Well, I mentioned my mom and dad. My my mom and dad, you know, most amazing people that I've ever known. And my mom's, you know, still living. Like I said, I can see the house across the <laughs> lake there. Um, and um, they instilled, you know, a love for the Lord in me. I mean, when I I was like uh, Rod Schaefer, former uh, football coach here. He talks about when he was a kid you know, that he had a drug problem and that the drug problem was is that every time the church's doors were over, his parents drug him to church. <laughs> and so I can relate to that because that's how it was with me. Yeah. Um, my parents had me in church. I go to First Baptist Church up here. I grew up in that church. Uh, I came in contact with so many strong believers, the, you know, people that, that spoke the truth of the gospel and of salvation through Jesus Christ into my heart countless numbers of folks and and um, going through that I, I remember I was nine years old I realized there was something that something I needed to do I wasn't quite sure of it 
But I, I do that I had something related to the Lord. There's something I need to know to know God stronger than I did even as a nine-year-old. And I told my mom I wanted when they did the altar call that day, I wanted to go down front. She said, do you know what you, you know, you're doing? You know what's going on? I said, yeah, I believe I do, you know. So I went down. When they had the altar call. They don't have altar calls much anymore. But when they had the altar call, I went down into our pastor, and I said, I said, I love Jesus, and I want to be just like him. Now, that's a, you know, that's a fine aspiration, <laughs> yeah. but just like him? No. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that but because, uh, you know, I'm not Jesus. So, but I knew that I wanted a relationship with him. I wanted to know him. I wanted to have him, you know, as the Lord of my life. And as I grew older, some of these same people, I would have questions. I would, I remember I asked when I was in middle school, I said, you know, when Jesus was crucified and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they put, you know, they stabbed him in the side with a, with a spear. I said, you know, he was God. So did he really feel that? And they told me, said, oh, absolutely he did. Because he was 100% man. He was 100% God. And that math doesn't add up, but it does. Because <laughs> that's, who he, that's who he was. And so I would accept that and, and embrace that in my life. And so it's all of these people around me, starting off with my parents, and the influence they've had is what's encouraged me in my faith and allowed me to, to grow into a more uh, fully developed, intimate walk with Christ uh, that is the most important thing in my life. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you talked about how uh, your parents had to drug you to church um, growing up. You know, as a, as a Christian, you know, the Bible says that, uh, that you will face trials and tribulations throughout your life. It's not going to be a cakewalk. You know, as a, from a Christian speaking to a Christian, how do you handle some of those, you know, tribulations that you, you know, you go through throughout the time? Well... <laughs> And unfortunately, I'd have to say in some of those times in my life, not very well, you yeah. know. Um, plenty of times that I've messed up and, and, and not been able to kind of step up and do what I needed to do in situations like that. But, you know, as what I would consider still a growing believer, I think I'll be growing in my faith as long as I live. Um, but, and you talked about trials and tribulations, you know, in the book of James, like chapter 1, verses uh, three through four, five, I believe it is. It says, count it all joy when you encounter trials and tribulations because it serves for the building of your faith. And, and it says that endurance must do its part so that we may grow mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so what a paradox to say, count it all joy when you encounter trials and tribulations, would you have rough times and tough times? Be joyful about that. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, who comes up with something like that? You know, so but that's what the Lord teaches us there in James. And so um, the challenge is there to recognize when tough times come along, nothing comes along by accident. Mm -hmm. The Lord allows you to go through different situations and different challenges and different difficulties um, because in those difficulties – he, if we trust him in them and we seek him in those uh, opportunities, that he'll help us to grow in our faith and we will become more mature and more complete. And so it really is all about perspective and how you see those things when they come your way. It doesn't make them any easier. And as Christians, we aren't exempt from anything. You know, we, we encounter 
difficulties and, and tough times is same as anybody else. It's just we have a source in the master and creator of the universe that we can tap into to help us navigate through those times. You know, you're very, very, you know, educated on the Bible and you're very, you know, strong in faith. Like I want to get there one day where you're at, but you know, if you had to, you know, tell a non-believer, like, what would you say to them to kind of make them believe? If you had one sentence to say to somebody like that, who, what would you say? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. One sentence. I, I, think, I think probably what I would say is that the, the wages of sin is death, um, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah. And those, that's not just sentences. That's basically three different scriptures from Romans meshed into one sentence. But I would want to let them know that we're all separated from God by our sin and that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that he showed that he had power over death and hell and Satan and sin and the grave by virtue of him rising from the dead of his own volition and that he sits at the right hand of God now. And so by surrendering our heart to him, confessing our sins, repenting from them, and committing our hearts and, and trusting uh, Jesus for our salvation, the scripture is very clear that we'll be saved. So, I love that. I love that. I know. Do you, uh, you want to get into snap questions? Now? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, some of the, you know, what we do at the end of our episodes is when we're trying to signify that we're wrapping it up and whatnot, we ask our question or we ask our guests snap questions. So it's kind of okay. like, you know, things off the top of our head that we come up with, to try to get, you know, a good side of your personal, you know, away from the baseball field, away from the church and off the cattle ranch. Um, our first question for you is one that we ask every single episode with all of our guests. If you could have three people throughout the history of time at a dinner table with you, who are they and why? Oh, <laughs> that's pretty on the yeah, spot too. <laughs> that is pretty on the spot. It's a bit challenging. Well, one of them, no doubt, would be Bart Starr, and Bart Starr was the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers back in the late fifties <laughs> and sixties. And as you guys know, I'm a huge Packers fan. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he. When I was a kid, my parents, you know, knowing that I liked Bart Starr, they sent one of these little um, footballs that cheerleaders throw out at halftime at the games into the crowd. And they asked him, you know, they sent it up there and asked him to sign it. Well, he signed it. And not only did he sign it, he sent back an eight and a half by 11 picture of himself that he wrote a message out on and signed and in a frame and sent that back That's awesome. and then a year later i got like a manila envelope in the mail not you know i'm eight years old you know this is you know i got a little manila envelope in the in the mail and it had pictures of all of the entire team of the green bay packers at that time now one thing that would never happen now. <laughs> no, no no way that's just that does not happen anymore but he was a man of great faith that played a sport that I loved. And as much as I love baseball, I probably am a little bigger football fan than I am a baseball <laughs> fan. Um, and so, I, yeah, I would definitely love to have a meal with, uh, with Brett, I mean, with uh, Bart Starr. Um, so I think another one would probably, um, 
I think I'd probably enjoy having a meal with Abraham Lincoln. We've had uh, that before. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, he, I view Abraham Lincoln as our greatest president uh, for multiple reasons. I mean, the history books ex- tell us, you know, he, he changed America more than any president in the entire history of our country. So I would enjoy um, having a meal with Abraham Lincoln. And then I think the third person would be the Apostle Paul. Okay. Um, okay. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. He saw Jesus face to face. He was caught up, you know, into the third heaven it talks about and saw Jesus face to face. I would love to have lunch or dinner with the Apostle Paul and pick his brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool three. That's a unique three. You know, we've had uh, Biggie Smalls, the rapper, last week. We've had, you know, we've had Jesus Christ before. Yeah. Um, Michael Jordan. Michael Eric Jordan. Jeter. Yeah, we've had, you know, that's Robin pretty, Williams. That's a unique three. I know you're a huge Packers fan, too. Yeah. When I walk into your office, I see all the stuff over the wall. So I was like, I knew one of them was going to be from the Packers. <laughs> um, so our next question uh, I want to ask you, if you could give one piece of advice to two 23-year-old 23-year-old guys like Brian and I, um, what would you tell us? Yeah, I figured that the 23-year-old guys, that had to be probably <laughs> you two. Um, well, I tell you, I, what I would tell you to do, I think, is go read Proverbs 31, the 31st proverb. And it basically... Write that down real quick. Yeah, <laughs> Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31, it talks about what a godly wife looks like. Um, every aspect of who she is and what she's about and so on. Read that, memorize it, understand it, and then go find someone who mirrors exactly what it says in Proverbs 31. And if you can somehow talk her into being attracted to you at all, (laughs) then latch onto her and never, ever let her go. Yeah, you found yours. You, yeah, found you and yeah. Miss Margie are, you know, mm-hmm. as tight as they come. It's like I a love dream it. couple. Yes. Yeah. I, I love, love Miss Margie, too. <laughs> she, she is uh, the biggest blessing that God ever gave to me. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, we have been married for 35 years. Um, she is the most important person in my life. She has helped shape me. You know, she's helped help me kind of grow up from being a, probably still an older kid when I, you know, when we met to, you know, to being, you know, better than I was then for sure. And so I, she's the biggest blessing in my life. I love her with all my heart. And I thank the Lord every day that he gave her to me because she, not just because of all those reasons, but she gave me, to me, the three greatest kids I could have ever had and so proud of so yes definitely <laughs> I, I definitely have my proverbs 31 wife okay mm-hmm. i'm gonna yeah we're gonna to read that right that. right after i get off the stage you know my girlfriend's yeah. down here watching us so i'm gonna be like hey coach said it you better <laughs> 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 um you know you know you want to take the next one or you want me to get it oh, you okay it. you know a hundred thousand dollars nowadays well it's not a lot of money but you know it's enough money to you know invest in something to start or, you know, pay off bills or whatever, you know, if me and Nate gave you $100,000, what would you do with it and why? Well, the, the first thing I would do is I would, I'd tithe at least 10% of it, you know, to our church. You know, that's, that's biblical. You know, that's what we're instructed to do. And so I would do that. Um, I'd pay off our mortgage, you know, go yeah. ahead and get that thing finished off and, and get it taken care of. And then uh, the rest of it, I would um, 
One invested in something that hopefully provided a consistent, maybe passive income, um, and something that would we could kind of uh, you know use and benefit from you know over a long period of time. And like you say, yeah, a hundred thousand is not no. you know it's it's still a lot of money to me, but that's yeah. not still it's not it can a go huge. Quick. It yeah. can go in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so, we, it's funny because you say that we've had people come on when we've asked that question. You're like, yeah, I just blow it. I want to get a new truck. I want to do this and that. And then I'm like, man, you look at the new F-150s right now. They're sitting at like $75,000. There goes three-fourths of it. But um, So our next question is, uh, so for those of y'all that know uh, Coach Sykes, you, you know his notorious truck. Um, and uh, it's this white uh, Chevy 2500 Duramax, no tailgate, uh, got a couple dings and scratches. Um, very a couple. <laughs> um, but he loves it. Uh, he loves it, and he's just known by it. Um, if you could have any vehicle in the world, or like dream vehicle, what's your dream vehicle? Yeah, you know, I've never been a guy that really – cared that much about a particular vehicle or anything fancy for me um if it gets me from point a to point b <laughs> and um you know accomplishes what i needed to do in route or when i get there that that works for me i i don't i don't really aspire to some big fancy vehicle like i didn't drive the truck today i told you guys that because <laughs> the heater doesn't work in it so uh, you know i drove a different vehicle here to so I could stay warm, but yeah, I, it's it's yeah, never been that big a deal. Speaking to me. of his truck, you know, one time we were we were heading home. Um, it was after a game this past spring, and I was going out. It was late. It was like eleven, right after the game. I was hungry. You know, I was going to McDonald's, the only thing open. And I, I pull off on I believe it was ABC Road, and I'm heading towards you know that area, and I see a white Silverado on the side of the mm. road with his hazards lights on. And I'm like, that's Coach. That is Coach. Mm. It's like I got I, I got to do something. So I pull over and I stop, you know, cut my headlights or whatever, get out of my truck and I start walking up. And uh, coach, coach, you're sitting there on your phone, you know, window up, you know, I guess not enjoying the heater. But um, <laughs> I, I knocked on your window and the look that you gave me, it was like, I will never forget. You like jumped and like looked at me. And uh, I just thought that was a funny story because, you know, you say it, it gets me to point A to point B. Well, I think got you to like, Half of A at that point when you were going <laughs> got home. To, <laughs> right. the midpoint. It got me to A minus at that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, Brian. That scared me to death. I was just, you know, uh, I remember over here. I've and I, granted, I've I'll sometimes I can't say I've never texted while driving. I don't want to be, <laughs> um, you know, disingenuous here. But I remember uh, over. I was on the east side of town over there and. I pulled over in front of a guy's house, you know, same thing. And I'm texting on the phone and the, and the guy walks up to me and, you know, same thing knocks you know, and it startles you. And uh, he says, can I help you? Cause I don't, he wondered, what's this stranger like parking right in front of my house. I said, Oh no, I'm sorry. I said, I was just, just texting. texting. Yeah. Get, he says, Oh, you know, I really appreciate you doing that. Now I didn't, Tell him, well, probably three-fourths of the time I wouldn't have pulled over, but this particular time I did and that particular time uh, too. But, yeah, you, you, definitely, you definitely startled me that night. I wasn't ready for it. You want to take the last one? I got it. All right, Coach, you know, you've, uh, you're born and raised right here in the beautiful town of Lake Wales, and, you know, you've been to Kentucky for college. You went to Mississippi State to play ball, and you've been down to Avon Park. You know, if you could go anywhere in the world, you know, for a couple of days just to kick back and relax, where would you go? 
my wife and I actually were talking about this about a week and a half ago, is that I would want to go to the Holy Land. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would love to go to the place where, you know, Jesus walked. I would love to, you know, to you know, climb up Calvary, the mountain that he was crucified on. You know, I would just like to see the things that he saw. I would like to see the Sea of Galilee that he walked on the water. I would love to experience all of that. I've known plenty of people that have done that, and they tell me it's just unlike any other place they've, they've been to. But uh, just as a, as a believer and a follower of Christ, I, I would, if I could pick one place, that would be the place. Yeah. I, you know, I was talking, me and Reagan were talking about that the other day. You know, I, I told her, I was like, I've always wanted to, you know, I would love to go there just to see all that stuff, you know, see the walls and see, like, it's literally history alive and still well. Like, I don't know. I think that I, I'm on board with you. I, I would love to go there too and check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I saw a, uh, uh, article one time where apparently that in the Red Sea, they have seen, um, like these shapes of coral underneath it that were shaped like chariot tires that were, uh, that kind of looked like a table because they were on their side. But mm-hmm. it's kind of cool that they go down there and find stuff like that. And it kind of just relates just back to the Bible because whenever, you know, Moses parted the Red Sea and then, you know, imagine that you find a chariot wheel at the bottom. It's like, well, that's kind of leading to exactly what the Bible said. So that's pretty cool. There's tons of archaeological finds all over the world. Uh, that match up with scripture and things that scripture said happened there. And so just, you know, more evidence of um, that it's there. the Lord's presence. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, I have one last final snap question for you. We don't really ask any of our guests this, but, you know, you are very deep into your faith. You know, Coach, you never really told us, you know, while we were there the four years, what, like, what's your favorite Bible verse? You've always bounced around and told us different ones, but you never gave us like your one that you always like, refer back to. Sure, uh, I think my favorite verse is probably Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, and it says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God." that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it, it basically speaks that there's no sense to fret or worry about anything. The, the Lord has it. And when we make requests, when things are on our heart and we make requests to the Lord, he says, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. So we need to be thanking the Lord for what he's going to do in that situation even before he's done it. And even though whether we know it's going to be what we're hoping he's going to do or something different, we thank him for it because he has our best in mind. He wants what's best for us. And so Philippians 4, 6, and 7, yeah, that, I think that would be my, my favorite verses. You know, Coach, we kick off every episode. I just remembered this. You know, we got right off going and – you know, we ask all of our guests this question at the very beginning of our episode. It's our title. And I cannot believe, you know, we got into conversation rolling off the bat. Coach, what is your number one rule to live by? Number one rule to live by? Yes, sir. Well, I think I, I kind of alluded to it when we talked about recruiting. You know, my rule to live by is that, you know, I want to glorify Jesus Christ. Is what I'm doing or what I'm contemplating doing or what I'm going to do, is it going to be something that God is going to be pleased with, that uh, he's possibly placed in front of me? Is it going to bring 
glory and honor to him. And if it's something that I look at and I say, I don't see how God gets any glory from that, I'm probably not going to do it. Um, I, I want him to receive the glory in my life. And I am, I am, you know, human, you know, and I mean, I have my difficulties and challenges. I, I was one of those sinners saved by grace. I mean, I'm, I'm not a foreigner to, you know, what sin looks like in, in, in someone's life, my own in particular. Uh, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. Jesus saved me. Uh, he has given me an eternal home in heaven through my faith. Uh, in him and I look forward to that so my responsibility as a believer here is to live a life that hopefully brings glory and honor to him and I'm convicted when I mess up and and feel like I'm not doing that and encouraged when maybe I feel okay I'd like to think maybe you know maybe that did honor the Lord there that's that's what you that's what I certainly aspire to do I just I don't uh, I wish I could do it every time but uh (laughs) That's what my goal is, you know, every day of my life. Yeah, definitely a unique one. We haven't had that before. Man. I can't believe we forgot to ask yeah, that. Yeah, I know it's our title of our show, the name of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we uh, we just want to thank everybody for coming out today. Um, thank Miss Chicken for uh, for giving us this opportunity. Um, thank you, Coach yeah. Sykes, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you, guys, for having me. We want to encourage everybody to support your local business, support all the barbecue stands, go buy a bunch of food, get all the drinks, have a great time, be responsible. Um, and I just want to shout out, the KT Foundation is awesome. What they do, the scholarships they offer to, you know, adults and high school students and all the things, you know, that they do and all the money that goes for the families that have been affected by, you know, certain circumstances that the KT, KT Foundation covers. It's just a really cool event. It's a really cool thing. And I'm so blessed to be out here with my partner, you know, a guy that had so much influence on me and Nate the last four years growing up, coming into Young Men. Coach, thank you so much for coming out today. You are the perfect guest for the perfect spot right here in Lake Wales. I love you, Coach. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, buddy. Love you guys, too. Appreciate it. And if y'all liked what you hear today, um, we are on all social medias. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and that's Rule the Number One Podcast. Um, And we're on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, just about everything you could think of. All of them. So we want to thank y'all for listening. uh, Have a great rest of the day. Enjoy some good barbecue and some awesome music, guys. Thank Thank you. you.